So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. So, Vicky, during the campaign, the uh, last federal election campaign, the Liberals uh, and the NDP both campaigned on uh, setting up a federal inquiry into the approximately 1,200 missing and murdered Indigenous women. And this past week, they finally came out with actual details of it, because before it was just sort of an announcement of an announcement that they were going to go ahead with this. Yeah, it's really interesting because... You might have missed it if you were caught up in the whole, is our prime minister topless and should he be? But in the middle of all that, three ministers launched the inquiry finally and gave us some details on how that's going to go. So they're expecting to spend $53.8 million. There's going to be five commissioners, all of whom are Indigenous, and they're going to spend some time looking at this issue. They're going to be examining factors such as what drives systemic violence against Indigenous women, the role of institutions, including police and governments, and they're going to review federal and provincial laws. So this is really an all-encompassing sort of thing. So back in December, when the inquiry was first announced, we spoke to the families of some of the missing and murdered Indigenous women. And one of the women we spoke to was Maggie Sywink. Her sister, Sonia Sywink, was found murdered in southern Ontario in 1994, and her murder remains unsolved. When we spoke, she wanted to know why there wasn't more being done immediately. I called her up to see what she thinks now that we have some of the details. I'm Vicky Mochama. I'm Supriya Devetti. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by ShipStation. The number of people selling online is booming in Canada. And ShipStation is the go-to shipping solution for Canadian e-commerce businesses. They make it easy to create shipping labels for Canada Post, UPS, FedEx, all from one place. And now ShipStation just announced their partnership with PureLeader. That means ShipStation covers all of Canada. Whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, or wherever you sell online, ShipStation automatically imports your orders into one easy-to-use interface, making them really easy to manage. Then, use ShipStation to create shipping labels for all the top carriers. They'll help you choose the right carrier to get the lowest rate for every package. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers in North America. Right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days. Plus, listeners get a special bonus, only if you use the offer code CANADALAND. Go to ShipStation.ca, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CanadaLand. That's ShipStation.ca, enter CanadaLand. So you talked to Maggie Sywink. What did you talk to her about? We covered a whole gamut of issues, but I started by asking her how the past eight months have been for her. Quite frankly, I think it's very disappointing for me personally. I really honestly feel that the um, federal government had a, its own mandate. Once they announced this, 
They wanted to start the pre-inquiries with the families to get direction. And many of the families, including myself, what I had heard was there wasn't enough time for families to prepare for that pre-inquiry, which happened from January all the way to, I believe, the end of February or the beginning of February. And unfortunately, many families went to those pre-inquiries and they were so big that many families didn't even have an opportunity to share anything because they were cut off because they only had like two minutes to talk to the ministers. So that part was very disappointing for many families. So would you say then that the federal government sort of rushed through these pre-inquiries just so that they can sort of get it done and not really put in enough, I guess, substantive effort into actually hearing from families? Absolutely. They had a target date of announcing the inquiry in June. And so they had to go back from the pre-inquiries and start the terms of reference. So they had a very short window of time to get that done. Plus, they had to pick the commissioners. So they were in a rush situation and the families could feel it and we knew it. What do you think about the announcement of the inquiry and the the announcement of, of the commissioners that happened this past week? One of my biggest issues with this is they didn't need all the pomp and they didn't need all of the, um, I guess, photo ops. When I watched the announcement, I felt it was very scripted and it was tightly controlled as to what everybody was going to say. They didn't need to bring, in my honest opinion, 90 families to Ottawa to make an announcement. I felt that was a huge waste of money for the families or for the commission itself. They could have made the announcement and just moved on. Do you know how many thousands of dollars they spent on that announcement? Uh, no, but I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, they brought them all across the country, right? And and just going back on this, and I'm very critical of it because we got a call on Friday afternoon, just past Friday last week, and they wanted to book flights for us for Tuesday. And the government could have better spent that money on putting rewards out for the missing and the murdered women and girls. They could have taken like, you know, $100,000 and, and put it out there and said, if you have information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual who murdered or captured or took away one of our family members, that would have been money well spent. The Justice Department is also giving money to provinces and territories to establish family liaison units. Um, There's also some money going to victim support services. Do you have hope that this sort of money would help other people in in your situation? Well, I I don't know what the definition of their liaisons are. If those places have good relationships with the people, I think it can work. But again, the families have to be involved in that process from beginning to end. Maggie, what are some some ex- examples? Like if you had the minister's ear right now, if I told you Minister Bennett is, is, is here and she's listening, what are some ex- examples that are, I guess, things that you would propose that they should be doing that they're not? Well, one thing I think that they can't do and they're not going to do and families really want it and need it is they're not opening any, any cases. They're not going to review any cases. And I think families are going to be sorely disappointed to see that, their cases are just being left by the wayside. And that's all part of the issues of the policing services, the justice system. They also need to abolish the Indian Act and rewrite that. Nothing's ever really going to change because nothing's changing from the inside out. 
And the government has to see that that's where the issues really lie. They don't lie on the inside. I mean, I am really disappointed with the fact that when I look at somebody who is getting convicted, I mean, 12 years for taking the life of a woman or a girl, you know, 20 years, that's nothing. That's nothing to us. And then they're out in half of that. When they start this inquiry, they should do many reports. So what can we institute? What can we do based on the inquiry tomorrow? They should have given the families the terms of reference long before they ever were presented during the press conference because we would have questions about the terms of reference as families and question those, whereas like now we don't have that option. The other thing I would have to say about the commissioners, it's a judge and they're all lawyers. There's no families, there's no advocacy groups. How many of those people that are picked had anything to do with getting this inquiry started? Do you feel that any of the families will ever get justice for the murdered and, and, and missing women and, and girls? There's actually this, this conversation we have within ourselves. And justice for me is doing the work that I'm doing now to end violence and to at least bring the numbers down of the missing and murdered Aboriginal women, ratio-wise, down to what the national average is. There's never an acceptable number of missing and murdered, whether you be white, whether it be yellow, red, or black. You know, I think that's one of the key things that I would have to say is important here. I've come to a place of peace in my life to know that that person may, who have harmed my sister and took her life, may never be found. It's, 20, it's going to be 23 years in, in, in a matter of weeks. And so the only justice that I know that's possible is to continue the work that we're doing to stop the violence against our women and our girls. So Maggie, you mentioned the issue of photo op and the optics of the government. Do you want to just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you look at the background, you look at all of the press, you look at everything that was there and all the families and, and you know, how they brought it in and prayer and stuff. It's a sham. It's, it's a phony, fake situation. And before, like in June, when they, they got us ready and pumped up, it's like, we're going to do the announcement and nothing. We had to beg to come forward to at least give us some kind of like update and then they delayed it one more time and then families are pumped and ready to like you know hear this news and then they they went back and forth but that's because the terms of reference were not acceptable to all the provinces and the provinces weren't online with everything we waited four weeks for an announcement i think they were supposed to do it the first week of june or something that's two months yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it definitely was the first week of June. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty fucking big delay. Yeah, and yeah, and so and what happened is like, um, you know, Justin Trudeau, what I've been told by people I know, they have said that they want the inquiry to start before the anniversary of when they were put in office. And so it's all these promises because many Native people, and you can agree too, it's like, it's, you know, we live our life on broken promises. And Justin Trudeau made these promises, and that's why INAC is being pushed. And, and you know, my biggest, one of my biggest beefs is the National Aboriginal Organization. They have their hand in the pot. They want to be a part of this. And all they want to do is they want to fill their coffers with money, and they want to get three, four, five million, whatever, to say they're doing something for the families. They're doing nothing. They've done nothing. I've heard so much criticism about INAC from different families throughout the last five years. And nobody trusts them and nobody likes them. Plus, the government is playing favorites with families 
a lot of families don't get invited, don't even know these, some of these conference calls and these meetings are happening. It's like the select few that agree with like INAC and on NWAC rather. And NWAC has a list of names of families who agree with their MO and then they're invited to these meetings. And that's the voice that INAC is listening to, the ministers, listening to those voices of those families who agree with NWAC. It's really fucking, it really is, I, I, I just, I get so frustrated listening to all the politics and the bureaucracy and it's mind-blowing. Well, you have our word that we'll do our best to certainly listen from families that aren't being heard and we'll definitely follow up and, and, and keep on this. Okay, um, and I'm, I'm going to be, some of the justice I'm getting is I'm going to meet with the chief coroner and the RCMP superintendent this week in Toronto to review my sister's autopsy and her toxology report. You know, it's 23 years and I feel like I'm ready to do that now. It takes a lot of courage to look at something that, that's black and white and you can't argue with it. It's reality. And there's lots of other families that want to know what happened to their loved one and they don't know the channels to go through to get that work done. And the government is not helping them. The legal system is not helping them. I've already uh, directed probably 10 families to the people I know in Toronto who can help them get their um, reports for their um, autopsies and their toxicology for their loved ones. To find out how they died, nobody even knows how they died, some of them. I'm sad that families aren't going to get justice for their loved ones. They're not going to get it. This is not about justice. This is about finding out the root causes, systemic causes of, of why women are going missing and murdered and look at the six decades of reports and start applying some of the recommendations. That's what they needed to do and they never did it. Well, government's fucked. So Vicky what happened? A while ago, when I first moved out of the house as a young little lass, I started cooking for myself. And what is available cheap for students? Hordes of ground beef. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in Quebec, there's this uh, chain of grocery stores called Super C. Um, and you just get like four pounds of ground beef for like nine ninety nine. So my meals were just like, you know, spaghetti with ground beef and shepherd's pie with ground beef and tacos with ground beef. <laughs> so I just ate a ton of ground beef. And it came to the point where when I had my physical, the doctor looked at my chart, looked at me and said, oh, my God, in looking at your cholesterol, I thought you were an obese middle-aged man. <laughs> and I must have been like, you know, 20, 21 at the time. So that's when I really took a look at myself and was like, girl, maybe you need to cut down on the beef a little bit. You were like, let's go vegetarian. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't totally go vegetarian, but then I just became a lot more cognizant of putting things in my body that weren't going to kill me in a way that all the ground beef was doing to me at the time. And then since then, I just became really interested by the whole notion that whenever we talk about emissions or we talk about climate change, meat is sort of left out of the equation in a way that I think is kind of mind-boggling when you really think of it. So the way you're putting it together is that when we look at climate change, we're failing to talk about like the cholesterol equation, which is that <laughs> ground beef is the problem with climate change, well, right? I mean, Am I getting this right? Well, it's it's yeah. Well, it's not just not just cholesterol. So if you're looking at red meat, okay, red meat requires 28 times more land to produce than pork or chicken, 11 times more water, and results in five times more 
of climate warming emissions. All we ever hear about are carbon dioxide emissions. We don't really hear about methane, which is CH4, and which is what cow farts are made of. Um, we don't talk about the runoff that fertilizer causes, and it causes like dead zones and, and water spots and things like that, and just a whole slew of factors. You know, we had this historic Paris climate agreement, and all we talked about were how this was going to impact the oil industry. We didn't really talk about how it was going to impact the meat industry or if it should impact the meat industry. My whole point is that, I guess, we just leave it out of the equation, and it's weird, and we should talk about it. So what got you riled up this week? Well, you know, it wasn't really... uh, Well, yeah, okay. We can transition this into what I hope to become an ongoing segment, Tweet Beat, in which Liberal MP Wayne Easter and animal rights advocate Rochelle Benoit kind of got into it. Shall we examine the tweets, Vicky? Let's do this. So the initial offending tweet was by Lawrence McCauley, who is the Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food. And he just tweeted out, good meeting today with Rennie Bradley of PEI Cattle Producers, Cattle Producer Jim Doyle, and Hog Producer Jeremy Stead. And it's a picture of, you know, these people in a room. Fascinating stuff. So then Rochelle responded, did you talk about the enviro damage, drain on healthcare, and abject cruelty of their sector? And she links a David Suzuki blog. And then MP Wayne Easter, who I will be, jumped in to say, we talked about how livestock contributes to the economy, creating jobs, utilizes land, and provides healthy food. To which Rochelle responded, so yeah, completely neglecting negatives and the externalized costs of sector downloads on healthcare and the planet. And Wayne Easter jumps in with a hot clap back and says, have a T-bone steak. It will make you feel better. It should be pointed out that Rochelle's a vegan. So it's one thing to tell me to eat a T-bone steak, uh, even though I prefer filet mignon, but whatever. But to tell a vegan that I think is a little bit offensive. Agreed. We did reach out to Wayne Easter. His office did not get back to us. And he has since deleted the offending T-bone steak tweet in question. However, the internet is forever. And so we'll have the screenshots up on our website at canadalandshow.com. So you can check out the whole conversation. We did, however, get Rochelle Benoit on the phone. So, Rochelle, I guess our question to you, um, being a vegan, how did you feel when a sitting MP asked you to eat a T-bone steak? Well, actually, when I got the tweet, I didn't realize that he was an MP. I hadn't realized um, until I actually went and looked at his profile and read that. And so I was then shocked. I mean, I, it's not something I haven't heard before in Twitter exchanges or things on social media. It's, it's very lazy. It's a very lazy retort, I feel. It is. But I, I think that it comes from a place of misinformation. I think that there are lots of misconceptions about veganism and sort of what happens to our bodies and whatnot when we eat animal products. And so It was lazy and it was probably meant to be a little bit of a jab. I don't think it was mean-spirited as such, but I will say that I was surprised that he was a liberal MP. (laughs) You just didn't expect the liberals to be so sassy? No, no, I sort of, I, I either expected to kind of be ignored or have a meaningful conversation, but... We should probably state for the record that in a follow-up CBC interview, Wayne Easter did say that he did not know you were a vegan, and had he known, he would not have told you to eat a T-bone steak. Right, and I I guess, you know, he's actually reached out to me on Twitter, and he's asked me to to contact him, so there will be an ensuing exchange at some point. I would like to take Mr. Easter at his word that he didn't know that I was vegan, but I just wonder if, you know, is that really an appropriate response to say to anyone that's raising legitimate policy questions? The conversation went on to say that I was attacking farmers. That's That was his further explanation for his original tweet. And 
I didn't attack farmers. In fact, I am a big fan of farmers. I love the lentil farmers and the blueberry farmers and the ones that are growing the plant-based foods that are keeping Canadians and people around the world healthy. So it just was sort of a deflection that was unnecessary. And, you know, I guess the good thing is, is that it's brought me to you guys and, and raised a little bit of awareness about it. So you don't necessarily directly attack farmers, I suppose, in your tweets, but you, you did tweet out gestation crates, battery cages, forced impregnation and stolen babies, tail and ear tagging, castration, all without pain relief. So you're right, you're not directly attacking them, but you are morally implicating them to a degree. Well, I am, but that was because Mr. Easter had gone on to say that farmers, meaning animal farmers, are animal caregivers. And so I was just pointing out standard industry practices that are used. And if we treated the family dog and cat the way that we treat and are legally allowed to treat cows and pigs and chickens and other farmed animals in the system, there would I dare say, be pitchforks and fires and, and whatnot. We just have sort of this notion that it's okay to harm some animals and not to harm others. So, Vicky, in the interest of a comprehensive conversation, we reached out to the PEI Cattlemen's Association. They did not get back to us. However, we did get in touch with Tom Lynch Staunton, who is the issues manager at Canadian Cattlemen's Association. He also works with the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. So, I mean, the obvious question that I wanted to know right off the bat was, what's it like being an issues manager um, and seeing your industry be the subject of this huge heated battle? I think the automatic reaction is to get defensive, um, of course, coming from the industry. However, these are legitimate concerns by the public, by our our potential consumers, and uh, they need to be taken seriously. So I think it's really, really important to have healthy debate on these issues because, you know, we're all trying to do what's best for our own health. We're trying to do what's best for the environment. And uh, to have people with these concerns where we can address them in an intelligent debate, I think that's important. And then I also asked him what the biggest misconceptions are facing the Canadian cattle industry. If we're talking about something like environmental impacts, there was a UN study that came out that said about 14, 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from the livestock industry, raising livestock. I think one of the misperceptions that Canadian public may not understand is that from a global perspective, that may be true, but in Canada, we're actually doing quite a bit better. So for example, of Canada's total GHG emissions, our beef industry accounts for about 3.6%. In terms of reducing our environmental impact, we hear this a lot, that you can reduce your meat consumption. It is true that cattle do produce a lot of methane. However, already in Canada, we actually eat very modest amounts of beef. So reducing even further will not have a very large impact on our Canadian emissions. But is it really fair to call them Canadian emissions to a degree when we're all sort of in this together? Like, I, I don't think the, the climate really cares whether the emissions are where they're coming from or the origin is, no? Well, that's true that we need to be thinking about emissions globally. I mean, we're all on the same planet. However, reducing our meat consumption in Canada will have a very negligible impact on global emissions. Vicky, you look a little peckish. I'm always hungry. Should I tell you to eat a T-bone steak right now? I wouldn't be mad if anybody told me to eat a T-bone steak. I'd ask them when they're delivering. That's our show for this week. (laughs) 
<laughs> Follow us on Twitter or Facebook by typing in Canada Land Commons into that search bar. Our producer is Kevin Sexton. And the music you heard was produced by Nathan Burley. Check us out at CanadaLandShow.com. You can email me, Vicky, at CanadaLandShow.com, or you can also bother Supriya, Supriya at CanadaLandShow.com. The next episode of Shortcuts comes out on Thursday, and Commons is every second Tuesday for the rest of the summer. Our new arts show, The Imposter, is off this week, but look out for their third episode next Wednesday. Aaliyah is great as a host, and you all should be subscribing to The Imposter. If you like the show, support us. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Twice in the last week, I have ordered a double pepperoni pizza with bacon. That got me thinking about my meat consumption. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Actually, you know what? Pork is the one thing that I really try not to eat because I saw this thing about pigs being like dogs and how they're so similar and how they're so intelligent. When you look at a cow, there's nothing There's nothing going on between mm. its eyes, okay? Like, yeah. it's, it's like cows can't go downstairs. They're dumb. They can't go downstairs? You can take a cow upstairs, but it won't, you can't go walk downstairs. Oh, yeah. See, they're that's dumb. just... That's why, like, when they're, <laughs> when they're at those farms, those things are on, like, a slow incline oh. down because they actually can't take stairs okay yeah dum-dums yeah but so anyway so i i try and uh, cut back on the pork much to the i don't know like i don't know like pork is one of those things that i'm like eh, but it's just bacon really that i can't give up i don't keep it in my house but i definitely order it a lot yeah like, if i leave the house and there's like an option well, for a meal it's gonna be pork because you know what it's like when you're out at a restaurant especially for like breakfast or brunch there isn't a whole lot of turkey bacon options in toronto in the same way that you get in other cities Step like up your fake bacon game. Yeah. <laughs> I shall take this to John Tory. <laughs> this is all helpful for the show. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.